Second is we prepare the message. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this glorious morning. We thank you for the worship this morning. And just the beautiful songs and the beautiful sounds that we lifted to your ears. And I pray that you are glorified through our time of worship. And I pray now that you go before my words. Father, empty me of myself. Fill me with your spirit. Guide me as I preach these words this morning. And take away anything that is not of you. Father, I pray that you prepare the hearts of those to receive this message. And we pray all this in the precious, holy name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So good morning. So today we move into the sixth and final chapter of Galatians. But before we do, let's do a quick review. Last week, Luke... Dear old Luke took us through chapter 5, which deals with the flesh and the spirit. Verse 16 of chapter 5 says, But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. If we walk by the spirit, we are not tempted in worldly, fleshly things, and we are able to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The Bible says against such things there is no law. So, how did y'all do? Did you walk by the Spirit or by your flesh? Did you allow the Holy Spirit to be the locomotive of your train? That was the illustration that Luke used last week. And take you where you should go. Or did you take over as the engine and engineer and go your own fleshly way? Luke reminded us that by walking by the Spirit requires walking by faith and being connected to the living vine which is Jesus. A stronger walk requires a stronger faith, and stronger faith will produce more fruit, which equals more love. None of this is possible without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So today, we're going to talk about bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. Paul closes chapter 5 this way. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. That sets the stage for chapter 6. As one commentator put it, Galatians 5 tells us of the things we can expect when the Holy Spirit is in control of our lives. Galatians 6 then flows out of that to tell us how to relate to one another when we walk in step with the Holy Spirit. So let's take a look at the first five verses of chapter 6, which Carl just graciously read for us. I've broken it down into three sections. Section 1 is out of sin, and it's going to deal with Galatians 6.1. Part 2 is out of love, Galatians 6.2. And finally, the third part 
is out of self. Galatians 6, 3 through 5. From this, we will learn what it means and looks like to fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, here's the first part. Out of sin, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Paul goes right back to the end of chapter 5. You who are spiritual, meaning you who are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, restore him who's fallen into sin in a spirit of gentleness, the gentleness being tied back to the fruit of the Spirit. So we all sin. The Bible makes this very clear in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we will all continue to stumble on our Christian walk. We live in a fallen world, and there's a constant battle between our flesh and our spirit. Sometimes the flesh wins, and if we are not quick to correct that, then we can get caught up in the sin or the transgression. It traps us. It can entangle us. Sometimes the sin is very subtle, and we may not even realize how deep we were into it. We have a blind spot to that sin, but others close to us can see the sin and the effect that it's having on us. This doesn't mean that they're stalking us and waiting for us to mess up and looking for you to fall down. It means that they care about us and that they're worried that we're in trouble. This is where Paul says we need to step in and help a brother who's fallen into sin. Before we can help a fellow sinner, we need to make sure that we are in a good place spiritually and are in right standing with Jesus. Then, and only then, can we come alongside our friend and help to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. The goal should be restoration and reconciliation, not harsh judgment. Gentleness, gentleness does not mean that you're saying that the sin is okay. It means that you love your friend and you're trying to get them back on track. Firm, but lovingly. Speaking truth to them, but in love. Chances are that person that's wallowing in sin is already experiencing guilt, shame, and embarrassment. You don't need to further beat them down. Think about how Jesus confronted the Samaritan woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery, two stories that we read about in the Gospel of John. They knew that he was aware of their sin, but yet he did not condemn them. For the Samaritan woman, he offered her living water and shared with her that he is the Christ, and she went on to tell many others about him. For the woman caught in adultery, it says in John 8 that Jesus challenged the scribes and Pharisees that those without sin to be the first to throw the stone. They departed one by one and did not condemn her. 
Jesus said to the woman, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no no more. Do you think that these women felt restored? Do you think that they felt loved? Do you think that their pattern of sin was broken? Restoration, reconciliation, and gentleness is the spirit that we need to use to help our brother or sister out of sin. Just remember, it could be you someday. In Romans 2, it says, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. Showing kindness and gentleness to a fellow sinner can be life-changing for them. It can also be life-changing for us. The poet Maya Angelou wrote this of kindness, and I thought it was kind of interesting, not coming from a Christian. Living a life of radical kindness, a life that others are watching, means owning up to the fact that our lives are messy and uncertain. Our roads are crooked. We don't have it all together. The life of kindness is the authentic life, not the perfect life and not the predictable life, and hardly the buttoned-up life. To lean into kindness means embracing an honest acknowledgement of our limitations and fears that we do not have this road trip all figured out. Be careful. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. That's the second part of verse 1. Be aware that you can fall into the same entanglements or sin or a different one at any time. If you are caught up in the same sin or a different one, you will be unable to help your brother become untangled. Jesus warns about this in Matthew 7. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now we move on to out of love. Galatians 6.2. Bearing one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are not meant to bear our burdens alone. The first place that we should run to with our burdens is the feet of Jesus. He tells us this in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 11, 
Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word for burden in this particular verse means something so heavy and cumbersome that it would be impossible for one person to carry it. Burdens come in all different shapes and sizes. They can be money-related, they can be health-related, relationship-related, marriage-related, job-related, children-related, etc. They can also be sin-related. As we talked about in the first verse, sin can become an entanglement, a trap, and drag you way down and become a heavy, heavy burden. When we come alongside a friend in need and help bear their burden, we are fulfilling the law of Christ. And you're thinking to yourself, we just went through Galatians and Paul was like, you're free from the law. The chains are broken. You don't have to worry about the law anymore. And now she's up here telling me that I need to fulfill a law. The law of Christ. So what then is the law of Christ? The law of Christ is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Christina, next slide, please. The law of Christ is love. What is love? Love is the fruit of the Spirit. How does love manifest itself in the fruit of the Spirit? My Bible gives a great illustration of this. First fruit is joy. Joy is love's strength. Peace is love's security. Patience is love's endurance. Kindness is love's conduct. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's confidence. Gentleness is love's humility. Self-control is love's victory. There is no law against love. When we are bearing one another's burdens, we are showing love. We're exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. We are fulfilling the law of Christ. We are operating out of love. Dave and I experienced that kind of love this week. We were faced with a really heavy burden. And yes, we first took it to Jesus, but we also shared it with loved ones and folks close to us. They couldn't remove the burden from us, but they could lighten its sting by praying for us, encouraging us, offering wise counsel, and coming alongside of us. The load instantly became lighter because we were loved. They were kind to us. They were gentle to us. 
They were faithful in their prayers and concern for us. And they were good to us. They were fulfilling the law of Christ. Part three, out of self, verses three through five. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Right here, Paul is giving us another self-check. You are not holy, and you are not sinless. And don't think because you might not be guilty of the same sin as a friend that you are better than they are. If you think that, you're deceiving yourself. Hate to break it to you. If you start pointing out other people's sins, be prepared for them to point out yours. Be humble. Take a hard look at your own life and your own sin and deal with it. We are all sinners. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. The good news is we can confess it. We can ask for forgiveness. And it is wiped away. God is faithful. 1 John 1.9 proclaims that. It's a verse that we should all have hidden in our heart. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God doesn't like pride. It's throughout the scriptures. You need to be humble. And this is another opportunity. You need to humble yourself before your friends and you need to humble yourself before the Lord. Proverbs 3.34 says, Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. 140, Psalm 147 says, The Lord lifts up the humble and he casts the wicked to the ground. Confess your sin. Be transparent. And the final part of that verse says, for each will have to bear his own load. Now we just talked about bearing another's burdens, but now it says you have to bear your own load. This is a little, this is a different word. But what does that mean? It comes down to this. That means that we are each individually responsible for our salvation. It's not a group ticket. It's not a church membership. We can't ride in on the coattails of our friends or family or pastor. It's an individual decision to follow Jesus and proclaim him Lord over your life. We will each have to give an answer. I can't speak for Dave, Dave can't speak for me, Pastor Tim can't speak for you, and you can't speak for anybody. We each have to give an answer. Romans 14 makes that very clear. It says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? 
Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue confess to God so that each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Salvation can't be earned. Paul stressed that over and over and over again through the book of Galatians, through all his epistles. We're free from that. We can't work our way up the ladder. It's a gift. In Ephesians 2, it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. When we give our life to Jesus, we become filled with the Holy Spirit and our load becomes manageable. The Holy Spirit's carrying it. We're not doing it on our own. So we need to step out of ourself and we need to step into Jesus. Before I wrap up, I want to show you this short video. It's called, Everyone Has a Story. Each of us has a story. Each of us has a burden, or maybe several. Each of us is carrying around some sin. And the only way we will learn about each other's stories or burdens is to be in community with others. Community can exist if we only see a person in passing for two hours on a Sunday morning. It doesn't happen. You can't read the whole story during that time. The first century church was a true community. And this is how it was described in Acts 2. And they've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being served. The first century church wasn't a fancy building. They didn't have the highest tech soundboards and the strobe lights and the multi-purpose room and the coffee shop and the espresso machine. They didn't have any of that. But they came together in people's homes 
on a daily basis. They listened to the apostle teaching. They broke bread together. They prayed together. They worshiped together. They shared whatever they had with whomever was involved and whoever needed it. They were a community. And they grew and God blessed them. Personally, I think the 21st century church has some work to do. In closing, I want to leave you with some questions to think about, pray about, and ask yourself this week. Do I have people in my life that can hold me accountable and call me out of my sin? Do I have people in my life that will share my burdens with me out of love? And am I helping others with their burdens out of the love of Christ? Do I know someone that needs Jesus and needs to be called out of their self and into him? Am I praying for that person? Am I sharing Jesus with that person? Do I have a strong community? I leave you with a quote from Tim Keller. If we are made in God's image, next slide, Christine. If we are made in God's image and he is three persons, then at our fundamental core, we are made for community. And only then, can we share one another's burdens? Thanks.